Welcome to All About HR. I'm your host, Tom Horn, and I'm on a journey to learn about all things HR. I'm documenting my conversations with thought leaders, HR professionals, and real employees about everything from recruiting, workplace of the future, benefits, you name it. We're all about HR. Let's go. Welcome back to another great episode where we are all learning all about HR. Pretty excited for this episode. It was a referral from another guest we had, I think it was last year, 2022. April Bell was one of our guests. She wrote the book, The Firestarter, Igniting Innovation with Empathy. And it was just an awesome conversation. I love the idea of bringing empathy to work. So when she reached out and said, hey, I want to connect you with Sue Collin, I said, let's let's do it. And here we are today with our guest. So let me introduce her. Our guest, Sue Collin, is Senior Vice President, Director, Qualitative Research at RTI Research. She spent 25 plus years guiding corporate teams through quantitative research. She now designs and moderates qualitative conversations as a human stories champion. When she is not helping clients find the consumer truth and develop brand strategy, she is her little art studio making mixed media collages with lots of layers. Sue, welcome to All About HR. Thanks, Tom. Real excited to be here and talk about HR and everything else. Fantastic. So I, you're in Connecticut, right? Where, where in Connecticut are you calling in from? I'm in southern Fairfield County, so about uh, 50 miles outside of New York City. All right. Excellent. Uh, did you ever live in the city? Yes, I did. I've been back and forth from New York to Connecticut. I moved to New York City and Queens. I lived there for almost 20 years, and now I've been back in Connecticut for about the same amount of time. What's your favorite road to drive around there? There's all these different highways. There's, there's some really scenic ones out that way, too. So what's, what's your favorite, least favorite roads driving on the Northeast there? Oh, my. There are so many. I would say any scenic route that's two lanes and I don't have a truck in front of me. Yeah, right? <laughs> yes. And it could be anywhere in Connecticut. It's it's all beautiful. Yeah, I'm a uh, Palisades Parkway guy on the other side of the uh, Hudson River there. I absolutely love that one. Before we get into it, tell me a little bit about this little art studio and mixed media collages that you're doing. It's just, I got your bio and I went, okay, that's great. But now as I was saying it, I went, wait, tell me more about that. That, that sounds pretty interesting. Well, you know, when people are asked to introduce themselves, they usually speak about work. And that's fine. That's a big part of what we do. And a lot of what I do comes from the creative side and and doing improv, if you will, when I'm doing qualitative interviews. And I kind of help myself along with my creative endeavors. So I've been doing art, mixed media art with found items, found papers uh, for a very long time. And I think of the collages that I do similar to a qualitative conversation. So I have a, in that I move things around in a conversation. It's not linear. And from one person to the next, it's always different because people are different. But back to the studio, I have a a room upstairs and it is a big mess (laughs) with piles of canvases and papers and all kinds of interesting things. And uh, I just fool around up there. Sometimes I'm making art and sometimes I'm thinking and sometimes I'm doing both. I'm jealous. It sounds like a really great space to be able to just go lock yourself into and just get the creative juices going. So April Bell, we had her on the show. She introduced us. Tell me a little bit about how you know April, how long have you known April, and uh, you know how, did, how that got you here today. April and I met through an industry 
group called MRX Pros, so Marketing Research or Marketing Insights Pros, and it's a just a nifty meeting, half-hour meeting. It's one of the only meetings on my calendar that's booked every week. There's a short speaker on something about life or business. We go into a breakout room, and it's fantastic. We meet new people each time, and there's April, and we started talking, and I mentioned that uh, I love being on podcasts, and she said, I have someone for you to talk to. And it was you, Tom. And that's how we met. And I know she's she's into qualitative and into facilitation as well. And uh, I, I still have to read her book and I can't wait to do that. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, I've got a copy on my desk and it's it just makes so much sense. It's one of those books that takes a concept everyone's heard of and then turns it into a really straightforward easy to understand way to integrate that into problem solving and project management at work. It's it's a great book. We'll put the link in there again. We always start off with everyone's first question. We're all about learning and listening. What are you listening to right now, Sue? Uh, in terms of music? Anything. Podcasts, music, and- audiobooks, whatever you're listening to. Sure. Music at any time of the day, it will be something different. I love Chicago and Staley Dan and Tony Bennett and smooth jazz, anything that doesn't have uh, lyrics when I'm analyzing or writing things. In terms of podcasts, I'm really into Mel Robbins because I I think we can all grow every day. And I'm also listening to a podcast named Empathy Led by Junior Nayeb, who owns the Grio Agency, a marketing consultancy. And he has fantastic guests uh, and from all walks of life, talking about business and empathy. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. That's part of the reason I asked the question. I'm always trying to find new things to listen to. So we'll have links to all that in our uh, in our post-show notes. But let's get into it now. Let's talk about what you're doing and get into our big topic today. And I think in you describing what you're doing currently, it'll just take us right there. So tell us, tell us about RTI Research and what your role is with them. RTI Research is about 50 years old. We're a marketing research and brand strategy consultancy, and we're all about turning data into meaning. And the premise is that we all collect a lot of data for our clients. And what does it all mean? What's the one unifying unifying theme that comes out of the data? And how do we share that out so that stakeholders understand it, know what it means, and can act upon it? We also have a chief meaning officer who's been in the advertising agency world for years and years, and he adds a creative side to it that that we consider second to none in the business in terms of the different things that he helps us produce for our output. So we do a lot of quantitative work, and we also integrate qualitative work into our projects for our clients uh, where appropriate, and that's where I At People Element, we collect quantitative and qualitative research, and I feel like we're always trying to have to justify the qualitative research, or people people come in with such strong opinions about qualitative versus quantitative. Let's start with some definitions. What is qualitative research, and then what is quantitative research? I like to think of qualitative research as the why behind the what. And the quantitative research is usually the what. It's data-driven in terms of hard numbers, statistics, talking about one in three or 50%, lots of closed-ended questions. There might be some open ends as well. Often it's an online survey. It might be a telephone survey or an in-person survey. 
And it's really getting at some very specific things where people, uh, respondents are reacting to things that we're putting before them. And there's really not a lot of deviation from it because it's a structured survey. Whereas qualitative, yeah, there's a guide, but a discussion guide is called a guide because that's all it is. So if I'm talking to you, Tom, today for one hour on an interview, our discussion will clearly cover the major themes that I'm charged to get at, but our conversation is going to look very different than if I was talking to, you know, someone named David, because he's a different person and he has different experiences. So they're, they're different. And uh, yes, people have strong opinions. The only opinion I have is that there's no one size fits all. It's all about what are the research and the business objectives and what's the best way to get at it. That's a great definition. That's a great getting, it's getting the mind going already because I've never thought of it, but I guess this podcast is a qualitative, re- I don't know if it's research, but it's qualitative, right? Like podcasts are qualitative. It's absolutely qualitative. And I would venture to, to bet if you ask the same questions next week on a different guest, the same questions are pretty much that you're asking me, you're going to have a different conversation. It's going to go a different route to come up with different insights. The the person you're interviewing might be an easier person or a more difficult person to interview. It's I don't like to call it touchy-feely fuzzy because that maybe gives it that, that cachet of why am I doing it if it's touchy-feely, but it's so human-focused that it's got that element of you're touching a person and you're really getting inside of them on what are their motivations. You're not just asking a rating scale. You're really trying to find out why. Yeah, and I think that leads to kind of that perfect follow-up question of so many people are debating, well, I want that data. 63% of people said X. And a lot of times they look at the other part as just opinions or feelings or, yes, it's a why, but it's not as actionable. It's not data. It's just talk. How, I think this is probably going to be the whole rest of the conversation somewhat, but how do you get that why into something that becomes actionable and into data that can be used? Well, first of all, I mean, I just want to unpack what you said. I think everything is data, every single thing. What am I going to have for dinner tonight? Well, what is my family like? Oh, we had macaroni and cheese last night. We're not going to have it again tonight. It's, I think there's data's in everything. I think that it's all about having objectives, knowing what you want to discuss with the person, having the right moderator, let's say that that's me, and making sure we're staying on point and that we answer the questions we have to answer. But we can certainly go off topic if that's where the discussion goes. Because what I've found in qualitative research is just like any kind of research, you go into it thinking you know all the things you're supposed to ask or the general themes of what you're supposed to ask to get to some answers for your client. But all of a sudden, somebody brings up something. You had no intention of going there. So you spend a couple minutes going down that yellow brick road and you realize, wow, they're mentioning something we never thought about. We were never going to expose them to a concept that talked about healthcare a certain way or, or whatever it is we're discussing. And so I think about quantitative research is going after consensus usually. Qualitative research does that as well, even though it's among small amounts of people. But it also goes after the uh, one-offs because in these conversations, you often find nuggets of information that stakeholders can use to go someplace else 
it sounds like it really can help identify kind of your outliers too. You're going to get your kind of your arc of information from your quantitative data, but then what are the outliers, whether they're positive or negative and understanding some of these other forces that might not be a straight line that might be impacting your quantitative results. Yes, exactly. And, you know, something you just said triggered, I read something on LinkedIn the other day. I think you'll be interested in this. A person was having an argument out loud to share, I guess, an argument he had with someone else. And what he was writing was that the person he was talking to really did not like qualitative research. And, you know, sort of along the lines of what you're talking about, he only wants hard numbers and how can you make judgments if you're only talking to 15 or 20 people, what have you. So the poster went on to say that he said to this person, you know, stakeholders like yourself sit in a room, five, six, seven of you, you have a conversation and you make decisions on strategy where you're going. And sometimes you do that without any kind of research or really going heavy into the marketplace you're doing it based on, you know, your lived experiences in business and in life. That's a qualitative conversation you're all having in that business meeting and a judgment. So I, I don't push qualitative per se. I mean, that's what I do. But I think everyone that I work with thinks about what's always gets back to what's appropriate for the business and research objectives. And you can inter- integrate qualitative research either before quantitative if you're doing it, or it could be after, sometimes qualitative stands on its own, just like quantitative does. Yeah, I think that's a great argument you bring up. And it, and it just created this visualization that almost all business decisions are made in a qualitative type of arena. You get your quantitative data, but it's not the board looks at it, sees the numbers and just makes a decision based on it. They talk about it. They, they vet it. They look at it. They understand the nuances of it. And that story you just showed, I think it really highlights the importance of that qualitative. And anybody that's saying qualitative is not important, the question you would follow that up with is, well, do you discuss data before making a decision? And if so, that's a qualitative type of conversation based on your quantitative data. So that's important. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, there are times that companies, be either because of limited time, limited budget, limited appetite, they're going to do very little research or they're just going to do one piece of research. So part of my job is to help them figure out and scope out what can they do within the parameters they have and and what's the appetite for doing any research at all, doing some, doing a little, doing two legs, doing four waves. Again, it totally depends on what you're trying, what you're trying to figure out. So when you're building your quantitative research, you've got your X questions to try to solve. Quantitative sounds like it might also be able to help you understand, is that box you've done for your research big enough? Are those quantitative questions capturing everything you need? And qualitative sounds like it it can be a check to to that data that you might not even know that you're missing something when you're trying to go out and collect the data you need. And qualitative might show you other areas you need to dig into. Absolutely. It gets back to that why versus the what. So it might be that you're planning to do some uh, relaunch, repositioning of your product or your service. And the marketing group and the creatives come up with a whole bunch of concepts that they think are going to move the needle in terms of uh, features and benefits and emotions. But you know what? It's a crowded field. 
So maybe we should do some qualitative first and pose, you know, among small groups of people, pose those concepts just to see, get a sense. What, what's the feeling out there? Take the temperature of, is this moving it or not? And as you're alluding to, we might find out that something is missing. And lo and behold, that quantitative research that's going to come after, we're going to add another concept in there because we missed something or potentially missed something. On the flip side, let's say you're doing a quantitative study and you figure out the different features that that are most motivating for a new service, let's say, or, or even for current services. But because of time constraints and other things that were in the survey, you're not really sure what's motivating people to choose those features. Aha, now we can go do some qualitative among the people who are really positive to those concepts, not necessarily the same people, but, you know, profile right. of those people and understand what their motivations are. What was the tipping point? What moves them? As with almost every podcast, way more interesting a conversation than I even know it's going to be going into it. Because my team, Laura, our producer, we talk about it a lot. Like we talk about quantitative and qualitative research all the time. So I was like, I kind of know about this. Let's help other people know about it. But I... I'm already learning something through this conversation. You've already opened up my mind. I've asked you five questions you didn't know were coming. So thank you for answering those. And I apologize. Well, no, no, I, I'm always learning too. I mean, I, I'm a student of learning. If that's, I don't even know if that's the right terminology. So that's one of the reasons I love having these conversations, like on a podcast or, you know, with people who are not in my industry, just to talk about what's going on in business and so forth, because you're always learning something and adding it to your toolbox. That's how I think about qual and quant, Tom. It's a toolbox. What's the right tool? I love that. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk to some of the techniques that you utilize to make sure you're collecting the best qualitative data and how to really open the subjects up so that you can really get that that strong data set and those answers and understanding that you need. We'll jump into that when we get right back. All right, we are here for the HR hot sauce. Best part of the show, as some might say. Sue, are you ready? I am ready, Tom. Let's do it. What's the best job you have ever had? The one I have right now, followed by being an ice cream scooper. What's the one phrase at work that drives you nuts? Are we aligned? Do you like working on rainy or sunny days? Both. It depends on what I need to accomplish that day. How can someone make your day at work? Please ask me what's new, or maybe just tell me we've just sold a new job, new project. Love it. Best useless skill, Sue. If I hear one word in a conversation, I can break out in song with either a popular song or something I make up. That's a fun one. Mild, medium, hot, or nuclear? Sub-mild. Favorite interview question to ask or be asked? If you could tell your younger self something you did not know before, what would it be? Another great addition to our uh, question library there. And then favorite song to bring you out of a funk? Ty, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton, or Greatest Day by Take That. And you are done with the HR Hot Sauce. Let's get back to the show. And we are back having a great conversation about quantitative and qualitative research, but we're really leaning into that qualitative side because in the world I'm in, doing surveys, helping understand employee engagement and sentiment. I'm constantly having these conversations where people are trying to unpack it and understand the importance of 
qualitative. So I think Sue's done a great job about outlining that, but I want to understand her experience and her techniques a little bit more now. So Sue, can you talk about what are some best practices when you're approaching collecting qualitative data? I think I said this before, Tom, and I'm going to start here again. It, it all starts with the moderator. So let's say it's me. And while I say that, it starts with me. It's not about me. It's about the respondent. But I have to bring myself to the party and be fully present for the respondent. It's their time. I want to show them that I'm showing up for them. And that doesn't just mean closing my email and all that. It means really tuning into them, making sure that they're heard, right? Oprah Winfrey said something like, above all, everyone just wants to be heard. And so that I try to accomplish that in every interview that I do. Being present is most important. Establishing trust right away. Very hard to do. Think about relationships in real life. They don't often just you know, at a snap of a finger, your best friends right. and all that. I don't need to be best friends with people on an interview either. However, before they come on screen, I try and talk to them for, for a couple minutes just to feel them out, smile from the get-go. I would say 99% of the people that show up for interviews are excited to be there. Um, and that includes HR leaders, by the way, to share what they're, what they're thinking and talk a little bit about them. You know, we'll usually ask some kind of open-ended question as part of our screening to get at the conversation factor. How conversant are they? Are they appropriate? So if they mention, you know, something fun, if they were to write a book, what would it be about? I'll ask them about that, how they chose that topic. So they know right away, I was listening to them before I even met them. So that's some of the, the, the start of that. And then give them space as we talk. Not everyone answers the same way. Not everyone processes the same way. Some people present themselves as introverts, some as extroverts. And I try and be authentic to myself, but also mirror them so that they're real comfortable. So those are some of the basic things that I do. And, you know, above all, don't make it a dry Q&A conversation, just like you're not making that with me. It's a conversation. The difference is they're doing most of the talking. That makes sense. Build the bridge, build the comfort, get people comfortable. Uh, for anybody listening, we do the HR hot sauce first, just to kind of get the conversation warmed up and make everyone comfortable uh, at the microphone. So I don't think that's any big secret, but that's some of the intention we had for the exact same reason. And along those lines, I will just interject. I was a little bit more nervous for this podcast than most because I'm interviewing somebody that interviews other people for a living. So I was aware that some of the nuances, some of the things I'm just doing, are they good? Are they bad? So I'll just ask you, how are we, how are we doing so far? Am I, on, am I on point as a host or interviewee, interviewer? I'm going to say you're on point. Okay, how I'll about take that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not pandering. I just you know, I got to make sure I, you know, I'm in the right headspace for the, uh, for the back half of this conversation. So once you get the common ground, you've, you've established that, and I think all of that's great. What are some of the other tips and tools that you can use to really get people open up and to make sure it's the right data to the questions that you're asking? Well, I mean, it's, it's true for quantitative surveys as well. We think we have the right questions. So, you know, the beauty of qualitative is I can adjust as I go. If a question is not working out for whatever reason, and, and that happens, people don't always understand doesn't mean the question use big words and I try and stay away from that 
uh, but it's just not in their experience set. So I've got to re I've got to rephrase it or give them example of how to think about it without biasing or influencing, you know, what, what they would answer. So look at their body language. Do they, do I get a sense that they're understanding or not? Sometimes I will play back what they've said and then actually say, I want to make sure I understand this. You tell me if I have it right. And sometimes even if I have it right, they go on and further explain it. And that's beauty because I get more out of them in terms of you know, more of the rationale. Yeah. Why are they saying what they're saying? And and then the last part of that, since I mentioned the word why, is I try never to ask the word why. I don't always succeed. Do you want to ask me why, Tom? Tell me more about that, Sue. <laughs> oh, you know. Yes, you know exactly. <laughs> well, I felt it was a setup. My brain was going real hard there for a second. <laughs> yes. Well, I always say this. I wish before my qualitative training that somebody had taught me not to ask why, especially as I was a teenager arguing with my parents over why do I have to do this or that. Why, the word why, or the question why, can put people on the defensive. Uh, you never know what's going to trigger that. So instead of asking why, if we ask, oh, what what led you down that path? Or how'd you get to that decision? And, and again, it's got to be a tone that's not too forceful, just a curiosity type of thing. So there's a lot of things to think about, even though I try and make it a conversation. I've got to keep, you know, control. I've got to keep control of the time. I've got to figure out as clients might be in the background throwing additional questions at me when I'm going to interject them to not throw the respondent off track. You know, I think of it as a Broadway play, Tom, where I'm going to Broadway on every single interview, right? I think I mentioned this to you when we first met, except I am not the lead actor or actress, I'm the supporting player. My respondent is the lead and my goal is to make them look good, which really means enable them to share openly and candidly with me. And when you think of a Broadway play, which I've never produced, you've got to imagine, hey, just like a podcast, there's a lot of moving parts that you have to mm-hmm. think about as you're doing it. So it's, it's really staying on top of all of that and um, being prepared for it as best as you can. I've got two questions that came out of that comment. One is more in the conversation. One's a total sidebar. As a New Yorker, do you have a favorite Broadway show you've seen of all time? That's a tough one, but I what comes to mind is Rent. Oh, yeah. That's classic. I've seen that. Well, wonderful. And I've, I've even seen college productions of it that were, dare I say, nearly as good because the music and the feeling, absolutely wonderful. Love it. I'm glad I asked. Second question, when you're doing the qualitative, and I I always think of Mark, who's on our team that does data collection over the phone at People Element. He talks about peeling the onion, where he'll listen to responses and then think, you know, it sounds like, Sue, you were a little upset when you said that, or it sounds like there's something else there. You don't want to project it, but you get better data when you can see the body languages you talked and when you can ask those further questions. How do you go about taking those? You've already started to touch on it, but are there any techniques when you have to go a layer deeper? So don't say why is one, but what are some other you know, techniques for, quote, peeling the onion to get, get layers deeper? Well, I'll actually, within limits, I'll actually comment on their body language. Um, you know, a lot, I just want to take a step back when I mentioned that so nobody misunderstands what I'm saying here about body language. It's important today, especially. There are clients who observe the qualitative groups or one-on-ones live. Others 
watch the videos. Most probably, if they're doing anything, are just uh, reading the transcripts. So you don't see all the stuff that's going on in the transcripts. So often, when I'm in a conversation, if someone has something on the body language that is really relevant for the for the context of what we're saying, we're talking about a new product or service or how they feel as a customer, I'll say out loud, okay, Tom, just for the record, I want to say that you smiled very broadly during that. And almost without fail, I do not have to say, How'd you, what's going on with that smile, Tom? Right. You will automatically tell me. Oh, I like that. So that's just, you know, those are just little tricks. And and tricks not in trick-or-treat, I'm trying to fool anyone, but ways to get people to say more if they have more to say. Always with the intent of explaining their rationale or their motivation versus I just like coffee ice cream, which is good enough on its own in my book. Agree. But I really want to understand had they get to that over vanilla or chocolate. I really like that nuance you just and that's what it is. When we talk surveys, it's not rocket science, but doing good surveys, new hire survey, exit engagement type of survey, it's not rocket science, but doing it well is a culmination of all these nuances. It's a hundred little things you have to do right. And when you do, it's that much better. And that's one of those, I thought I was asking a question that was already answered and you got another layer deeper that I didn't even see coming. That's, that was really great. Good. Is there anything else we need to cover specifically? I want to get into tying this with, with HR a little bit more directly, even though I think a hundred percent of what we're talking about is, is totally in the all about HR wheelhouse. Tie a bow on some of the best practices Establish a connection, ask the right questions. I love that nuance about kind of going deeper and asking, not saying why. What are some of the other pieces that, that you might want to mention before we uh, get into kind of connecting this to outcomes? Two, two things that come to mind. I, I mentioned prior, I think of it as a conversation. I really do. And if I want to understand the human side of my conversation partner, you know, a lot of times I don't call qualitative research, I call qualitative conversations. There's a little nuance there about how I approach it. I let the respondents see that I'm human as well. So, you know, if you have a conversation in your private life and you mess up the word or you go round in circles for a moment, you got to come back. I really don't cover it up. I'll say, whoops, I think I wanted to ask you this first. Hold that thought. So make it human. The more human I am, within reason, and again, not making it about me, yep. they're going to be human back and be more forthcoming. This, the second thing, just to tie the bow, as you say, is that at the end of a conversation, I like to throw in what I call the bonus question. I don't always know what that question will be. Hmm. But if, if I'm having somebody evaluate their experience with companies and their products or services, I might, you know, do some protective, projective techniques at the end. You know, if you were charged with selling company A or company B, tell me, company A, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they love that because now you're kind of making them the star of the show even further and telling them, you know what, your opinion counts so much. I need you to, you know, go an extra step for me. And, and, and they do that. So Questions at the end to wrap it up and put that bow on there can be really helpful. This is great too, because it's not everything we're talking about, and, and, and that's a great practice, but everything we're talking about isn't just surveys, isn't just research. 
This, these are all best practices for having a one-on-one with a team member, for a coaching conversation, for any type of conversation, like a qualitative podcast. This is pretty universally good communication practices, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's the plan, right? When I – we do exit surveys. People have been an exit survey leader since 1994. And one of the things we talk about being a benefit is – we have qualitative questions and quantitative questions. And analyzing the why, that's not a good question to ask, we covered it, but the why from the qualitative and the quantitative data, looking at those two together paints a fuller picture. And that's true for all of our type of surveys, but it really, for some reason, always comes out on exit type of surveys. And I think an exit survey is really about the why. Why are you leaving? You're not trying to save them. You're not trying to, like, it's why are you leaving? So I think that's probably why it comes up. But talk to me a little bit about, you've got the, you've got your why, you've got your quantitative. Talk to me a little bit about how to best go about looking at the two to form a one singular full picture. You know, what are, what are we trying to figure out? So if, if an HR leader was looking at a mass exodus or mass for them over a short period of time, they might be looking at on these exit interviews, what people are saying, realizing that the people are leaving, some are leaving, uh, because there's a better opportunity. Some are leaving for that and they want to get the heck out of town, right? So is there a theme going on that you can look at across, let's say there's, you know, 10 people left in the last two months. What's the theme? Is there a theme? Where are those people going? If not the exact company, it might be a competitor. Is it the same kind of industry or not? What's lacking? Um, what did they really like and they hope to see in their next company? So even though they're leaving and it's an exit, Maybe you also learn from that. What's the what were the positive things that are going on? I mean, let's face it, people don't necessarily stay forever. So sometimes it's an inev- inevitable that people are going to leave. But I think you know, quantitative might be a little easier to analyze because you have numbers on a page, yeah. and you can see. You know, you look at a graph or you look at a scatter plot or what have you. Qualitative, they're different conversations that don't necessarily follow the same arc. The moderators, they're listening and hearing those themes over and over. So I, you know, I almost pose it as the HR person that's charged with listening to those exit interviews, maybe having their own little cheat sheet of sorts Mm -hmm. of where those uh, responses fall into, you know, which buckets do they fall into to help them structure what are they learning? And and I just want to throw one more thing out on this. Why wait till an exit interview? Yes. Why wait till it gets to that? So there's a whole other part of research that could be done that that has nothing to do with an exit interview. Yeah, that's we talk about that a lot is get some of that qualitative, often touchy-feely information early on. And then you can see how that compares to the variance of what it looks like on the way out. And you know what engaged them or what they were feeling in their own words, when they're joining your organization, you know when they're leaving. When you can aggregate that data, you can really understand a lot of the why they chose you and why they're leaving against 
those key drivers or that quantitative, uh, the, that quantitative data that you have. Yeah. Why are they staying? You know, maybe there are annual surveys, stay surveys. Why are they staying? Or instead of gripe sessions, you know, people get together. What's, you know, what's going on that we need improvements in terms of gripe? Flip it and talk about, we want to bring you together across departments, you know, some key people across departments that are chosen at random or whatever, however it's positioned. Get them in a room because you just never know what somebody in accounting is going to say that's going to help someone else in marketing, that's going to help someone else in, uh, you know, some other aspect of the company. And then the people are really, the employees are really engaged, you know, this is separate from an engagement survey, yeah. but really engaged in being part of the solutions and improving the company. I think that's a key for anything you talk about is engaging, getting your team to be a part of the solution. Sue, so I, I can't lie. This has been a really, really interesting conversation. Um, April, if you're listening, thank you for the introduction. I, I, I think this is really important for anybody in HR, anybody out there in working, anyone just talking to your wife or your husband or your partner about what you're going to do for dinner or why, or this is just really important stuff at least to me in my world. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about it. Thanks, Tom. Um, you probably got a sense that I love talking with people and it's been a pleasure meeting you and talking with you as well. So if people want to talk to you more about this or they've got some follow-up questions, where can people find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Do you have your own art page? Where can people find you? People can find me at S. Colin, C-O-L-L-I-N at rtiresearch.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, and you're going to see me a lot there talking about all things qual and creative and so forth under Susan Collin. That's great. We will share notes to all of that. This has been a fantastic episode of All About HR. Sue, this has been great. Seriously, so much fun, so informative, and we hope to have you back down the line. Everybody, thank you so much for listening and learning all about HR.